I'm Ralph Roberts. I was in ministry uh, with young people in, as a Unitarian Universalist minister and for years, and am a happy would-be artist out here in Arizona who really, really cares about gay rights and queer rights and queer young people. And there's so Thank much I want to say. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Arizona Equals Conversation. I'm Gene Woodbury. I'm the Policy and Communications Director for Equality Arizona and the host of this podcast. Arizona Equals is a storytelling podcast featuring weekly conversational interviews with LGBTQ people living in Arizona. If you'd like to listen to past episodes or sign up to be a guest on a future episode of the show, you can visit equalityarizona.org stories. Today's guest, Ralph, signed up to be a guest on the podcast through the form on that page, and I'm really glad that he did. Ralph was present for some really important moments in queer history, and is probably the first person I've ever talked to who could share a personal story about Allen Ginsberg. Ralph also has decades of experience working in church ministries, and I felt that the combination of those experiences gave him a really unique and valuable perspective on the history of the gay rights movement and some of the ways he feels that it's failed. We get into some pretty contentious topics, but everything said here is grounded in real experience, in real emotion, and real empathy. I think it'll be best just to let the conversation speak for itself. So let's get the episode started. And I was, I I got teary because you know, I, I hadn't realized that he was out to some people while he was in high school, too. And, and I'm just like, Brian, the, you know, it's like, don't you feel like it's wasted? He's like, wasted? He's like, we were surviving. And he said, and I said, I know, but I could have just come out. And he's like, you were my lifeline. You came out right after college. I was thrown out of my house. You found me, like, friends and stuff. And I was like, I didn't know I did that. <laughs> and it was like, it was this really... Heart healing moment. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I yeah, I mean that's such a a moment. Yeah, um, I think there were there uh, there's a group of us in high school, and we never kind of knew it. But we never acknowledged it. And you know, I look at us now. Um, Ryan, the one I mentioned, he and I both adopted. He, he adopted three kids. Um, oh, wow. We both did through the state, and he's done community theater. I've been I've done ministry and education work with kids and stuff and um, and then we have another friend who uh, is the well a doctor's spouse he went to school to be a doctor but came out a doctor's spouse oh yeah <laughs> and, but he is you know and, and they ha- they adopted a kid um, and then there's our friend Chris who was always a little scary he was on the debate club and stuff oh. but. <laughs> But Chris got liberaled up, and he's done all this stuff on environmental stuff. And oh wow, um, like professionally. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, that's cool. Yeah, and did a lot of advocacy work on that. Um, he had a rough time of it. His parents were not too cool with things, and he uh, yeah. he went to I don't know. He just he he had to he had a harder time in some ways. Um, but you're all still able to be in touch after all yeah, these years. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not not a lot, but we could easily at any point. Yeah, That's we could pick really up the, nice. 
Um, and then there were female friends in our group who, um, you know, we're still in touch with too. Oh, like, that's really cool. Um, yeah, it was, it was really neat. I think it's interesting to look back on some of those moments where it's like, yeah, we had these things in common that we didn't even necessarily know or right. acknowledge to each other or to ourselves. And then years later, it's like, oh, well, of course. I, I have, I ached to, to, I wanted to be out. I wanted something. I would, I, when I was growing up, I would call the, we had the gay and lesbian switchboard like weekly for, oh, yeah. Like, do you have a youth group yet? Do you have something? My parents even were considering, like, well, could we send him to Hedrick Martin? <laughs> like, you know, we, they didn't know much about it, but they're like, you know, they th- same thing when I, uh, was diagnosed with dyslexia, but I wasn't up to boarding school. That wasn't going to work for that me. That would be a big change. Yeah. But um, but it, it finally got to the point, because I came out to my parents at 14. Okay. And this is like mid-AIDS crisis, pre-AZT. And um, so not a lot of folks were doing that at my right. age. And, um, but there was just nothing. There was nothing. I, we yeah. lived two blocks from a metropolitan community church. Who knew? And I went in, and I thought, well, this will be something. She was terrified. The minister looked like uh, I was, like, a disease or something when I came in. She was just so hor- um, terrified that, well, as it eventually came out, they had been firebombed. There had been a lesbian bookstore that was firebombed in our city. Oh, gosh. Just before that. And they would gotten lots of death threats. And because, I mean, I kept saying, you know, I could come. And she's like, no, your parents wouldn't want you to do that and say oh no they'll, they'll, they can come with me maybe and she's like well you know there's people who are dying of AIDS and they look it and there's you know transvestites the language of the day yeah and um, you know I really don't think you know that's you're gonna want that and then she was finally like look we can't have a 14 year old kid coming in here the wrong person hears about that and those fire bombs are gonna turn from threats to reality yeah um, and my church had a a gay group and so I went to the conference not my church my church but um but the denomination right and um so I was excited I thought well maybe this I got to the door of the meeting after following the lab labyrinth like directions to for how to get there because it was so hidden yeah and then I go down this dark hallway and somebody rushes out before I could even see who's in the room to uh, you know walk me back to the youth programming and I'm like, I, I, my minister knows. Could I come? You know? Oh, gosh. No. So it wasn't until when I was in college, though. Um, they had just started a, uh, in 93. Uh, so it was the, my second half of my first year. And it started a um, gay, lesbian, bisexual group for, for youth and young adults. Okay. Uh, the first of its kind in the area. And so finally there was something. I did college at a religious school, actually. When you have open-minded parents, you have to rebel somehow. (laughs) And also when you can't find any outlet to be yourself, and then you have the young young, people for Christ and stuff ready to show you all this affection and touch you and hug you. Yeah. You know, so. But it just took a week at the Christian college to make me, okay, I'm back. I'm I'm on board now. Um, much to my parents' relief. But, um, yeah, I went to Harvard Divinity School. Okay. That's what took me to Massachusetts. Though, when I first was encouraged to apply, I was like, oh, I can't go to England. I thought Harvard was in England. I didn't know. <laughs> <laughs> so, 
listening to these different places you've looked to find like support groups and things like that. Yeah. A lot of them are churches or religious mm. colleges. And I'm, I'm curious, like, I think, you know, my perception thinking about churches during the AIDS crisis is not that they would be a place to find support groups, but it seems like they right. did exist and were actually one of the safe places to look. Yeah. A lot of times they, they were. Um, I think it's, it's like, <laughs> For me, I got the, the, the learning that I needed to be gay from those groups. Like, I learned to be on the unpopular side of things and stand with it. Yeah. I learned to make my values something different than what everybody else's values were and, and feel affirmed in the fact that it's not what everybody wants. Um, so I learned so much psychic survival, I think, from, from that those groups and... And faith was always important to me, so that's part of it. But part of it is that churches were where groups would meet. I mean, it may not have been right. a religious group, but you were going to meet in the oh, basement of a right. church. Yeah. Um, so yeah, in college, when we would go to, the, we had the youth group meeting that met at Planned Parenthood. But the other thing was Sundays, because the Harrisburg Church was there, and they would do the UU Church. They would have something for where they'd show a gay movie, so it was something to do, you know. And you meet these little old ladies who were just so excited they, they got an actual homosexual to their meeting. <laughs> and um, Or you'd go into, the, the cool church was my church in Lancaster, and there we could actually take classes and stuff, or, you know, I picked up a couple dates, you know, different <laughs> times. Or the other one was Dickinson College. They were involved in a lot they, in that area. Okay. Um, and they, they, like, sponsored dances and stuff, which, ha- having been involved in gay youth programming now over the years and seen like multiple generations and stuff it's one of the things that gets so missed is we've we, we just missed the boat on they're looking for for opportunities to date they're looking for opportunities to connect socially they're looking right. for those sorts of things the political activism is great the you know all of this is great and having some of the groups do a lot as far as you know dire situations like homelessness and stuff but if we're going to master or conquer or just get crack open some sense of how do we provide something developmentally equivalent, developmentally equal, yeah, uh, we've got to figure out stuff better. Um, right. Like, just how are we as as queer people able to get that same kind of socialization right. and community? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's um, the when I was when I went to Massachusetts though, one of the first things I worked at a preschool uh, one summer. But then, when I, as a student, I um, got an internship and I was the assistant to the director of Project Ten East, which is um, I don't know if you're familiar with Project Ten. No, I'm not. Project Ten West in LA. That was the original. Um, was one of the first gay youth anything's. Um, and then not long after that, Frank started Project 10 East. In that time, Gay Straight Alliances started in Massachusetts and Newton and, and so on. But So it was one of the first Gay Straight Alliances, but more than that, it followed this Project 10 model, which was markedly different in that he was staffed with the school, and he ran the group, whereas the Gay Straight Alliances, I like to joke that my first... Um, you know, experience with uh, gay youth work was as the founder and president of my high school's Bible club, oh. <laughs> because 
it's the Supreme Court case that allowed for the Bible clubs. Right. That provides your legal framework for what justifies the gay straight alliances. And that includes it's got to be youth led. It's got to be youth led. Right. It's got to be youth led. So over the years, they've done different things to get around that. To, to you know, so you you go over in the summer and the queer studies and women's studies faculty and 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 students and stuff, they're going to you know give you all this training and basically you know give you a script book for what to follow and stuff, and then send you back and hope that it goes well. Right. Um, and then you're going to be working with an advisor who's terrified to do anything or say anything because that could end it and that could end their career too. You know, so it's like if you've got a gay advisor, you're screwed because they're terrified. If you've got a straight advisor, they don't know what they're doing. Um, <laughs> so they're also terrified. So they're also terrified. And so whereas with Project 10, we, we had the ability to set out a curriculum and think about a curriculum. Like what what does somebody new in the group need to go through to participate in the group? Because we had to do fundraising stuff. We also had things that bridged in with the community. So like one of my jobs was just to like, Help the adult volunteers who come in to work and make sure no numbers or anything or touching happens with the kids. Yeah. You know, and that's, that was my job. So, like, it was usually, there was this one kid where it was like, you make sure he goes home on his own. You know, it's like, um, but similarly with the youth group that I was in, the, the one that started up in Harrisburg, they had a staff person from the state offices and stuff and it was paid for by the gay and lesbian switchboard but also by the department of health so we we did things like you know there was youth empowerment but we helped set up the curriculum you know yeah. we helped set up and think about if we're going to expand to younger people what's that going to look like um when was this that you were first getting into that work 93 okay was, so while you were in college yeah it was my uh i started in 92 and okay. so yeah and then which state is this? that's in pennsylvania pennsylvania yeah, Pier, okay yeah. yeah i was like i know all these city names right. my family's from pennsylvania oh okay so. all right yeah i'm from lancaster originally and um and and i had also at that time experienced some of the other kinds of groups which were probably more like our, our a one in ten here right um which was like dc had a group that had just started and we went down there and um one time they were very um Angular, <laughs> my impression. They, they were very um, harsh and angular. Their, their, their oh, clothing, right. their hairdos, their studs on their jackets. Their uh, it was my first encounter with Doc Martens. Um, <laughs> they just seemed very angular, and but they were dealing with being on the street and things like that that right. weren't. Um, we went down there because Eastern Mennonite College, another, had a an out lesbian who was in charge of their satellite program in D.C. Oh, cool! And um, so we stayed at this one dorm that she was in, in charge of, and there were some other gay kids who would come down on the weekends from Eastern Mennonite. It was like the thing for religious schools, um, and so we went to the meeting and we went to a dance and all this stuff and came home that first night and. My friend Lee was like all happy and stuff, and she said, "Ralph, you you weren't very happy." And I was, "No, I didn't. I, I didn't know the music. I didn't know what to say. I, the kids were all very snarky. <laughs> I didn't use that language then." But and I said, and they kept saying things that I didn't understand what they meant. Mm -hmm. And um, she said, "I got something for you." And then she comes back and she has a stack of Dykes to Watch Out for comic. Books. Oh my God, I love those. No, and um, a cassette tape, and it's a. 
pirated uh, copy of Paris is Burning. And she's like, you have a quiz tomorrow morning. <laughs> and then uh, tomorrow evening, I'm sending you someplace on your own. And so we got quizzed in like, what's shade mean? What's, what's, <laughs> what's tea, you know? Yeah. And, um, and then she sent me to Lambda Rising Bookstore on my own where Leslie Feinberg was uh, reading from, I think it was, she, she was supposed to be there for Transgender Warriors, but she read from Stone Butch Blues. Also amazing. Yeah. And um, I got to go to, over to the pop stop for coffee afterwards with her. Of course, all I cared about was the boys, which is what she noticed. She's like, oh, look at him. <laughs> look at him. He's just so happy. <laughs> and I touched Allen Ginsberg once. Um, oh, that's fun. I, I was, well, I how did that happen? He, he was talking and he was reading Howl. And it was in Philly when I was um, at school there. And uh, afterwards... I'm like going up and I wanted to say something to him. I have no idea what to say. And so I just like put my hand on him and he's talking to all these people and he finally like looks at me and I was like, I didn't know what to ask. And I thought, well, I can at least say I touched Alan Ginsburg. He's like, Oh honey, <laughs> if I were younger, you could have done more than that. <laughs> uh, that's a perfect story. I don't, so, there's nothing you could have said that would have been better. I oh, think. I know. Yeah. So it was like, it was great. Oh, that's um, fantastic. I should, I should also mention, with that whole part of life, so we had this campus in Philly. Like, the Eastern Mennonites had the... My school, Messiah, had a campus mm -hmm. in Philly, and we all lived there sort of communally, and we had um, a ch our own chaplain. So there was a queer uh, theology conference at University of Pennsylvania, and I got a bus of students, and we went to the queer theology conference. Oh, wow. Uh, the chaplain went, and we ran into somebody... D, who, Calinthia, who was our, our chaplain, knew, um, and had actually dated as a young person before D was D. Um, and so it was, I think, a first, you know, trans experience for a lot of the folks. Um, D ended up coming and um, sharing worship service with us and leading, uh, uh, giving testimony, not about her trans experience, but, but still, I mean, it was just this really... right amazing thing um that chaplain went on to um become uh, go on to the board of eastern mennonite and eastern college in both in pennsylvania uh, which are the two schools within the christian college consortium that um went full board we're going to give benefits to same-sex partners including religious studies faculty they're going to be included in the um affirmative action Ask policies yeah. in terms of preferencing marginalized and um, historically oppressed communities. Um, and she was part of those votes. I imagine that going from that kind of communal yeah. Pennsylvania experience, Mennonites, um, even though that's not your college, and then going to Harvard is got to be a pretty big shift in a lot of ways. Yeah. What changed? Um. Yeah, it was a big shift. Uh, though I focused on the UU stuff a lot. Okay. Though I think I, I think I brought a lot of my sensibilities into it. Like I introduced a lot of communion services and oh, things nice. like that that they weren't doing before then. And it was, it's just bigger. It's just a lot bigger. Right. Um, so there's, it almost became sort of unnoteworthy at times. The being gay thing. Oh at yeah. Times, but you know, it. It's still the deal. But, you know, my experience when I moved out here versus there, as far as being in a congregation and feeling at home in my skin, mm -hmm. 
and feeling able to relax and not be monitoring myself as far as my sexual identity. Right. It was world's better when I came out here. Um, oh, really? That's not something I would have expected about Arizona. I wouldn't have either. Um, I was uh, called, to, I was the first out gay minister called to serve one of the um, United Church of Christ churches. I'm UU um, by training and, and all, but I grew up UCC. And okay. So, um, so I was called to a church there. And so for the Southwest Conference, well, they've had out ministers here. Yeah. I was the first one who was out and known to be out when he was called, which is might be why it only lasted two years, but um, or part of it, no. But really, I mean, the, the congregation, they just they knew how to handle that in a matter of fact, but not hyper aware way. Oh, if, I if see. that makes sense, they could yeah. joke about it in ways that it, it was nine years in uh, in my last church before they were up to making a little joke. Like they, oh, they made a right. little universal bathroom sign and cause right by in a remodel, it was like the men's room was this way and it was also my office. And so they put a little symbol of a guy in a pink robe cause my Harvard's robe is pink and, yeah. and it was like men's room and uh, the associate ministers. And that, that was their little funny, oh, you know, yeah. this, is, this is nine years in. <laughs> yeah. Nine years in. Whereas, you know, there, you know, I, I had the old ladies who were like when I, got separated and they're like, you're going to go out and do well. (laughs) (laughs) Stuff like that. I love that. I think there is like a real difference between people who are totally great about it, but then also like maybe a little too cautious. Yeah. And then people who maybe aren't actually 100% up to date with everything, Mm -hmm. but accept you in a way that's more genuine. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think we forget how many, parts of this country had some version of that for the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, things were awful, awful for, we underestimate how awful things have been for you just because you're gay or lesbian or, you know, I mean, we, we vastly underestimate that so often. Um, and within the queer community, we do a lot of evil, cruel treatment of one another that ignores our own trauma history um, in ways that we wouldn't ever tolerate if it was not somebody on the inside. Yeah. You know, and a lot of that is trauma behavior. I think. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, you're right. We adopted a kid through the state system and what, you know, Mm -hmm. one of the things they often talk about is don't assume that siblings want to be together or or, or are going to thrive together all the time. Yeah. Because if you've been through that trauma, and, and what do you do with that? You know, what do you do with that betrayal of, you let this happen to me? And, and, and for, for queer people, that's built into our relationships. That's, right. that's one of the, sick, the sickest things, I think. The, the, the cruelest things in the world is, you know, you, you hear from couples, if the, like if they were involved in a violent, horrible, you know, home invasion and rape and stuff, where it, it introduces something that the relationship can't, heal from because it's that you didn't do from and and that's baked into our relationships especially from when we were young you know you learn to not like the the other queer acting kids that's right you know as and, a and self-preservation and, 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 yeah and treat them badly and and um which is you know part of the beauty of it is that you know the, the solution to that the solution to some of that hate is when you first fall in love 
you know, if it works out that way for you. And, and all of a sudden, all you can think about is this person and then start to realize that this person likes a lot of the things you do and acts a lot of the ways that you do. And you love it. And, and you love you. And, you know, and, and so when it works right, that's, that's when it works. But, so, but yeah, they're much more comfortable out here. And it, just in general, um, in a lot of, lo- lot of ways. It wasn't, like, Massachusetts, I had, I spoke to a group, this is in 95. Okay. By that point, UUs were supposed to have our shit together. Um, right, that's kind of a... Yeah. known fact about right, right. we did we did it well we we had game ministers thought nothing of it mm-hmm. i saw that in the search process you use way more comfortable in the search process about gay ministers ucc we're like we have to talk about this I'm scared <laughs> but you do need to talk about it you know it's like yeah. what seemed like a good thing was they didn't want to talk about it because they were so with it and i was speaking to this group where i was asked to share my coming out story because it's this tearjerker coming out story and somebody who was at that church had heard it and she wanted me to do it, but it, they were planning on, they wanted to talk to parents about if they became a welcoming congregation officially, what, what might that look like as far as what we do differently in religious education. And so when I actually was talking on that after doing my coming out story and saying that as great as my parents were still, it was horrible because I was alone and I was isolated. And, and what we need to do is we need to, not assume kids are straight. We need to assume that our kids might be not straight, not, you know, right. uh, whatever. And um, you would have thought I had just gone and said I was going to go rape their kids or something. Oh, God. I mean, the, the vitriol and, and stuff that came back on me from that, um, the moderator had to step in, and that's where I was like, ah, well, now I know. I know that now, and I will not forget that. And... And it, it's lasted. I, I, I have so many things about the direction we've gone just because I think we've ignored so much for the past several years and, and haven't taken a chance to focus on it. What do you think's been overlooked? I think we... I think we went over... We overextended ourselves on our comfort with gender identity, I think. Um, not in a way that's like, not that we're really comfortable with gender identity, but in the sense of, yeah, we'll include that in the curriculum. Yeah, we'll do stories about that. Yeah, we'll start to introduce things that now the way that we're introducing them is metaphysically really quite questionable and not something ever any trans person I've ever met has articulated as their sense of self. Well, so I think it's an interesting thing to say because it's like well we're not actually that great about it and then but we're also rushing headlong into here's like the most boiled down 101 version of how gender identity works that doesn't match up like you're saying with like my experience as a trans person or or really anyone that i've talked to when they really talk about what happened to me personally yeah it's so rare that i've encountered somebody who's like I think I was a girl in a boy's body. You know, like, right. like that's just not something I've, in my experience, yeah. happens very much. You I, know? Think, <laughs> I think there are people who say that for sure. Right. But it's also something that someone decided is the story that's going to be acceptable. And it, it sounds like it works for kids, right? Yeah, but it's, I don't actually know people who that's their journey. That's no. their experience. And it's, so it's now a, we have people freaking out. Right. 
and and rightly so if that's what the message you're teaching and if if you're and if you're teaching kids that gender stereotypes mean you're really a girl or you're really a boy if if that if that's the message and that because that's that's what you've heard or that's how you've yeah you've interpreted well, and that's it. not helpful to trans kids right. either because so many trans kids don't conform to any gender oh, exactly. stereotypes exactly. and it can hold you back from moving into the world the way you need to mm-hmm. and and because it doesn't say the word sex and i i i never quite believe how relevant that is but it's so relevant it doesn't say the word sex and so it slips in and it gets tolerated and it means that we we've dealt with an aspect of the experience of queer kids that gives them a path to some sort of relief. Here's a way that I can get relief. Here's a way I can assert myself and not assert myself. You know, like I'm gonna, here's me, here's the real me. And it is the real me for like, stitch it, you know, down here, Venn diagram. But you know, most of the arrows I think are gonna go right out here. The part that's not quite me, so it's not gonna hurt quite as much as if it hit me right here. If I like was really like, you know, just out there honest. And meanwhile, there are no, like, not no, but gay and lesbian people and bisexual people, at least of a certain generation in this conversation at all, because we made a truce. We made a truce early on. We're like, we won't say anything about the kids till 18. If it's in our family, if it's in the workplace, you come and you ask me, do you think my kid might be gay? I'm going to say no. I wouldn't think that. Yeah, of course. I, of course, I think your kid might well, be gay. So that's that's a question. Then you had that experience being a kid and going to places mm-hmm. and being told, "I don't know that we can really deal with this because of right. the the fear and the the very real situation of violence." And I, I wonder if maybe at least for a moment people have been able to oh, ease yeah. up. Oh, yeah. And now there's this terrible backlash again, people going right. into libraries with guns and things like that. Well, it, it was kind of an easing up and kind of not, because I think, the, I think they've had it worse than I had it. Yeah. Because I had anonymity. Right. And I had um, certain kind of polite expectations about, you don't, you know, if it's somebody's a nice person, you don't say you think they're going to be a homosexual. You just don't do that. You know, you don't think, you don't say, I think you're going to grow up and be a cross-dresser. You know, you know just because you like to wear girls, you wouldn't do that. You know, you, sure. you focus on, that's going to make him a better father because he's going to be more in touch with his nurturing side or he's going to be more <laughs> empathetic with his wife. You know, right. that's how you, you, you know, seven, 1970s were hip with things. That's the way you do it. Um, and there's ways in which if we're not okay with this stuff, it's a better way. It's, it's a better way because it at least gives these kids something. If you're not going to give them actual people like themselves that they can talk to or, or guarantees that you do not have to suffer through certain kinds of treatment and degradation. Yeah. And we're going to make sure you know what that looks like and where you can go. I think it's really hard to look at that, you know, from our own perspective, here's the different things we had to suffer. And oh, what, yeah. what would we want? Yeah. What's the best thing a kid can have? Is it this kind of partial life or this kind of partial right. life? I don't even know what the 
perfect situation. Yeah, I wouldn't want to contrive a situation where we keep them in the dark, certainly. Right. (laughs) Um, But I, I do know that the gay rights movement in general let our kids down mm. because we, we, we pursued the things that we could for adults. We, we told the press not to take pictures of the kids at the parades. Mm-hmm. Um, but we were, we were afraid to support them until they were 18. You know, that yeah. the it's get better thing is it embodies it. It's because it's, just, just wait, just wait. There's this threshold right here. And at this point, I can talk to you, and I will not have violated. And so, and because that's what's keeping the evangelicals from calling me a pedophile, and that's right. what's keeping me from going to jail, and um, and uh, you know all sorts of things, um, is that I haven't talked to you until you're 18 years old. So if, yeah. I just need you to get over that line. <laughs> just get over that line, and we are here and waiting. Yeah. Horrible thing because meanwhile, right. and Grace is on, and kids are like, I know how to spot a homosexual now, you know. I know, you know, and yeah, you can, you're like ducks in a water in a barrel there. Mm-hmm. And I saw it with these kids when, when I would work with them. And for me, that's where a lot of the novel um, taxonomies came out. I oh, mean, yeah. um, there were there were trans kids, and that, that was a broad sort of broad category that had to do with gender expression and things like that. And, and, but then you would have, yeah, we had pansexual, um, um, omnisexual, Mm -hmm. uh, was one of the things I remember running into, um, uh, asexual. They didn't, I don't remember the Demi and Alaranitic, but I remember these things. And then I also remember, and bisexual, of course. And then the kids Mm -hmm. would, you know, I really, I really only like guys, but you know, I, that's what I say in the group, you know, and it's like, no, they could, they could just as well be trying to do the same thing with me that they're saying that they're doing with them. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's that's all. But regardless of what directions it's happening, these kids are scrambling. You know, scrambling in in this environment where people know. Like I could go to an evangelical group and nobody's going to say about me being gay. Like I'm in charge of my identity, and yeah. now people think they can can say something, and I think that's. The real key of, of what you've been saying is who's in charge of yeah. our identities yep. and who feels like they can say something, you know, whether they're saying the thing that's technically correct or not. Yeah. If they feel like they can say it because they have some kind of ownership over your identity, there's a problem in that, mm-hmm. I think. Yeah. But I'm really curious. You were saying that you think the, the gay rights movement has failed us in some big way. And, and you've been at some really pivotal moments, I think. You mentioned meeting with Leslie Feinberg. Yeah. And, and I know her cousin, who's a UU minister. Okay. Um, and and uh, then, of course, oh, who's the other? Um, oh, my God. Uh, pink and Blue. Um, Beyond Pink and Blue. What is her name? Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um, She's a hoot and a half. Yeah. Just just marvelous to be around. I'll, I'll, put the, I'll look it up and put it in the yeah, show notes. Yeah. But, but um, you mentioned being at that moment and... Before we were recording, you told me that you were in the New York Times when... Right. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about that story. We, um, well, when Massachusetts um, made it legal, I mean, the Supreme Court set a date, and then that was the date at which the, the, the legislature had so much time to come up with a bill to mm-hmm. make it illegal or to get it into the Constitution that it was illegal, and they didn't do it. So we got to that that 
moment, and that's when at midnight, um, it was just uh, three places in the state. They opened it up. It was Cambridge, um, City Hall, and uh, uh, somewhere middle of the state, and then Provincetown. And so we were number two hundred something. My my partner and I at the time. Um, it was amazing energy. Our son was already placed with us at that point. Um, and we had already had a commitment ceremony but and done the domestic partner thing. But now we were, so three days after that, then we could get legally married. Um, so we were, we were number 200 of all the, the marriages, you know, wow, so, yeah. something like that. And um, they did an interview on us because soon after that, I made the decision to accept the call to the church here. Um, so very shortly after that, you, you came here to Arizona. Right. And so they were, they did a piece in the paper about what, what's it going to be like going out to, you know, for these people who are going to be married, but in another state. And what is, what it ended up being like is it was crazy negotiating things with schools and stuff. Right. Arizona. I, th I think it's also particular to Arizona. I think other couples face this too, not just gay couples, uh, but they, they have a way of, dealing with either mom and dad or one parent. Those are the two things they can deal oh. with. Anything else, like step, you know, like two moms, one dad, they don't know what to do with that as far as release yeah. of information or anything like that. And so it was a constant nightmare, especially since we're gay, loosey-goosey, sort of, you know, we, we have very fluid, rotating uh, job expectations in the family, you know, so... <laughs> So just looking at that trajectory, like coming out before AZT even, yeah. meeting and knowing people in that orbit around people kind of creating new language of like transgender as this big umbrella, right. and then hitting this moment of marriage equality in Massachusetts, moving to Arizona where we didn't get marriage equality until right. Obergefell. Yeah. What do you see as the, the breakdown along that line of, of the gay rights movement? Well, I th I think for one the the final tipping point for the marriage equality. I guess I don't think of it as us having done it. Mm. I think of it as um, society sort of catching up. It's like they they needed to do like the, the rest of the people needed to do it really bad. Right. And we needed it. We needed it. and and I I one of my pet peeves is the number of talks that begin with, of course I support marriage equality. Oh. <laughs> However, for bullshit, bullshit, people who are poor, marriage matters. Whether or not you can get married, it matters as a kid to know that you can get married. And, right. and you can take polls all you want. And those little boys want a husband and a baby. And you may not like that. You may think, oh, I want you to expand your ideas of what you can. That's fine. Go and expand the ideas of the heterosexual kids first. They get to like have a. They get to have something to rebel against, you know, <laughs> something to break away from first. They haven't had that yet. Yeah. Um, let them have it. It's really interesting to think about that. The way that you're saying it is this idea of society needed to do something yeah. about us, and now there's these ideas that they're not wrong and they're not inaccurate, but they're not something that we're just going out and doing for ourselves necessarily mm -hmm. and that that's something that boxes us in even though it's supposed to be giving us right. more options right so you're saying like the marriage in the way that i'm saying that, that it does that in the way we present gender identity and in the way we present marriage yeah to, to, yeah oh definitely yeah so 
Are you still involved in, in ministry now? I haven't been for a while. I, um, I had a tough leaving. It was, um, there, there was a, a bully, you know, and uh, at, at what level, like institutional or, it, it, well, it started out in, in the congregation and okay. it grew to the institutional. It sort of mobbed, um, oh. And somebody who, who who was like a bully would be was very clear with me that they did not want me there and they intended to have me gone. Oh wow! Yeah, it's very direct about that. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, wow. yeah. It took a it took a couple of weeks before, but yeah, I knew that from early on. And the other tension was um, we were gearing up towards the recession at that point, and I don't think anybody had the the insight that that's what was going on. But the anxiety was always it's because it's because of him. It's because of him. Oh, yeah. People aren't coming. People aren't giving because of him. People look for something, someone to blame. The congregation, if anybody thought that, their attitude was always, who cares? You know, we'll deal. But for some of the other staff, for for the senior staff, certainly. I see. He he would waffle between wanting to be supportive and knowing how to do that and not. And um, And I had a son who had very special needs. And I had... Uh, a, a, a violent assault that happened and all of this just cascaded and yeah. I, I imploded. I just couldn't, I couldn't keep it up. Um, I so. think it's a specific kind of homophobia to be told like, it's not because you're gay, but, but I'm because use... what other people think of you because you're gay, yeah. I, I need you to leave. Yeah, it is. It is. It's because it makes it so hard to, to know where to wage the war because you're waging it against windmills. Yeah. Um, it's just, we think this is probably a problem. Um, <laughs> now, oh, one of the first tactics done was we went to, we went on a trip and this person scheduled or set up the room so that I was, I would be expected to sleep in a bed with one of the teens. What? And so I had to, I got a cot in the bedroom and I like did a rotation system and like, I'm not even showering with you guys in the room. Right. You know, no way. I, yeah. I, I've done this long enough. I know, I, I know about everything. My old office was glass windows on like four sides, you know, yeah. and it was like, <laughs> I, I remember in high school hearing about those people, uh, the, the preschool workers, and they were in jail for like 25 years before they got out. And then the one died like a year after he got out. I, I followed that. Uh, that, that was like my, uh, section 28 or whatever the law is over in, in England, what meant the teachers couldn't, oh, right. there no yeah. promo homo yeah. thing. And they've done studies where about how these teachers, you know, even years after they they still show the signs of the trauma of that. Yeah. And uh, that, that was it for me. Those, those nursery worker cases. Cause I, I wanted to work with young people and, Oh, Oh, that was, and even then, you know, nobody was saying that, these people were gay, but I knew, I knew, I knew that was what was going on. Right. There's a real fear to work with kids on any level. Yeah. It's sad because my whole, my whole ministry as passionate as I am. I always kept the kids at a distance and especially sad to say, if it was a kid who seemed likely to be gay. Yeah. Um, and so I, I'm hoping to find opportunities to overcome some of that. Yeah. Um, I, I have a nephew who's out. We haven't talked about it more than a sentence yet, but and he's been out for years. I mean, years and years. But I'm I'm determined to at some point, you know, be able to have a conversation about what that. I talked to his partner on online. I messaged him. 
<laughs> um, it's, it's sad. It, it's, it's sad. Really and sad. It's challenging. Yeah. Are you still able to be active in a, a faith community at this point? Oh, after yeah. that experience. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It, it took me a while, but um, the my current, hopefully soon to be husband. We just can't get down to the. He's been. We've been together for fifteen years now, and um, he's Mennonite. Oh, <laughs> he happens to be Mennonite, and I found him <laughs> out here. <laughs> so it's like goes in a circle and yeah. uh, his, he had a similar sort of growing up. His parents were, I didn't tell you my coming out story. Oh, let's close with that. We okay. have a little bit of time left. Okay. So first my parents, my mom was my dad's secretary. She's 10 years older than my eldest daughter. This is a later in life marriage of love. Mm-hmm. Um, their love was celebrated. Their, be- their headboard was this these snakes writhing. My mom had multiple arms as Kali or something like that. Oh, wow. Stark naked. Um, I did not go into my parents' bedroom when I was scared at night. Um, <sighs> so, like, they, they, I knew that I, my dad had a heart talk. You know, if we're going down in the ship and it's you or your mom, I'm going to pick your mom. You know, like, oh, this wow. is just okay. something you need to know. But at the same time, like, they had, uh, my dad had, wanted to be very proactively open-minded and, and broad-minded and stuff like that. Not that his other kids weren't, but um, there was something that he was wanting to do differently. Yeah. And um, so with me, like our first trip to New York, we went to Washington Square Park and he identified for me. See those two guys holding that's homosexuals oh, and this yeah. is what that means. And, da, da, da. and he contrasted it with what we saw in Times Square at the time, which was peep shows and pornography. Right. And, and he's like, so which of those two is dirty? You know, and um, never heard anything anti-gay from my parents, um, ever. So when I realized I was gay, I wanted to tell them, and and I was terribly nervous. Um, but I never, I knew I wouldn't be thrown out. I knew that they would like treat it like they would anybody else. Um, and I thought lots of times, you know, what was so scary then, um, which I have some ideas. But anyway, I, I wrote them a letter. They picked me up. I was at my grandmother's when they got the letter. and they picked me up, and we're talking about it. Mom's crying. She had a harder time dealing with it. But my dad was just so relieved because he, he had known and expected and tried right. to think of things, but he was like, he tried to explain to me. He's like, There's, it just doesn't exist. Like, saying, I think my son might be gay, everything that we know is, how can you avoid that? How can you make it not happen? And he's right. like, I didn't want to do that. But... There was no idea about what do I do, yeah. and so he's like, I tried, but you know, he, our relationship improved exponentially after that. Um, Mom, still a little weepy and all this stuff. A couple weeks after I had come out to them, I come home from school, and she has tells me to come in. She's sitting in the dining room, and she's got these shopping bags, and she said, "I've been thinking about this more," and I was thinking, you know. What if you meet some guy and his his parents aren't okay with it? You know, they don't even want to come to the wedding. You know, she, my mom sometimes a little clueless. She didn't really think about the fact that it's not legal at that point. You know, it's, <laughs> so, um, yeah. and she's like, and, and you're so comfortable with yourself, just being yourself. And what if you're with somebody who's really you know anxious about being seen as the woman? <sighs> who's going to get the china? So I thought I'm just taking that off the table right now. <laughs> and she pulls out. An eight-place setting of bone china, gravy boat, serving dish, and all this stuff. Somehow, for this 
daughter of a coal miner, where she got these high sensibilities, somehow my having bone china on hand ready to go resolved the, the major anxieties she's had about what will be different in life now for us because he's gay. I love that so much. That's such a like, <laughs> Pennsylvania story. Yes. It's, I love that so much. Um, thanks for recording with yeah. me today. You're welcome. Um, Thank you for having me. Yeah. This was um, amazingly affirming. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. Thanks again to Ralph for joining me on this week's episode of the Arizona Equals Conversation. If you'd like to get each new episode as it's released, you can follow the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or in the podcast player of your choice.